This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. This week's a very big Pasha. I mean, you see, this week's a very big Pasha, but before we start, um, there's a young boy who's in a very grave, grave danger and happens to be Daphne's oldest son, um, who was just rushed to the hospital, unresponsive. Uh, his name is Yisrael Mayor Ben Daphne Berea, and we really have to govern very hard for him. It's not a good situation. Yisrael Mayor Ben Daphne Berea. The whole, the whole Ornava, the whole everything was because of her. So um, she has a lot of chassim, and he needs a lot of chassim right now. Yisrael Mayor, which is named after the Chabad Chaim, Yisrael Mayor Ben Daphne Berea. Okay, Berea. All right, so this week's Pasha is Pasha B'Shalach. Yes, we just for Um So this, this week is, is Pasha B'Shalach, where the Bnei Yisrael go out of Mitzrayim, and um, the splitting of the Yamsuf, the Mon, a lot, of, a lot of good things happened this week. And most of it has to do with Emuna, with belief, with belief in Hashem and being tested. And it's just very interesting, because, you know, the Torah is... The best psychology book that was ever written um, is, is definitely by far the Torah, and everything that a person goes through is in here. And it's very interesting because Klayisrael, um is coming out of Mitzrayim, and they're not warriors. They're not. They were slaves. They're not fighters. They're not army men. They're not you know the Marines. They don't. They don't know really how to fight. It's not what they do, and um, it's not what they did. And Hashem is taking them out of Mitzrayim. The short way to get to Israel was to go through Palestine, through the through the way through the through the Plishtim. But Hashem did not take him that way. He took him the long way around. Why? Because it was close. So I would think that's the reason to go that way. If it's close, so why would you schlep me the long way? So the Torah tells us why. Hashem knew that the Plishtim were our enemies. And if we're going to leave Mitzrayim and go through the Ederich Plishtim, they're going to go to war with us. And we, we just we just don't have that mentality. So, like, we get out of the, the fire, right? You get out and, and, and you end up in the pot. We're out of Mitzrayim and there's a, new, there's a new enemy. Hashem said, you know what's going to happen? They're going to panic. They're going to totally panic. And they're going to turn around and they're going to run back to Mitzrayim. So we're going to take them a long way. We're going to take them where there is no war. Okay, so yeah, it's um, in in psychology it's called um, it's a trigger, right? Um, there's, a, there's a there's a word for it. There's a, there's a story um, of this woman who was the head the head CEO of I don't know was GM, one of these very like IBM, one of these very very big companies, and they were having a board meeting at you know, one of those long tables, and and all the big shots, president, CEO, everybody's sitting there. She's she's like the chairman of the board, and um, one of the workers walks in, he's wearing a red tie, a bright red tie. So she, she's sitting there, all of a sudden the guy walks in, she goes like this. Like she pulls up in a chair and she goes like this. I'm like, she's like the chairman of the board. And everyone's like, what was that? Like, what's going on, right? And she like, just settles herself down and like, what just happened? Like, how did she know this guy? Whatever. Okay, so she has the meeting and, and um, at, at the end, she goes into her room and her executive assistant says to her, like, Mary, what, what, what was that? Like, if I might ask you, like, what happened? So she said that, 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 um, it's transference, whatever. It's, um, that, that her father used to abuse her, and, um, he used to wear this red tie every time he came into her room. 
So, so even though it wasn't her father, it was some stranger with a red tie, but when she saw the red tie, she saw her father, she saw the abuse, she, she defended herself, she curled up. Transferring. Um, so that's sort of what was happening here. As Rosh Bofu said, if, if they're going to come out of a shrine and right away be attacked, they're going to they're gonna go back into like that, help me, and they're going to run away, and they're going to run back to the shrine. So God knows, you know, the human being, and he knew what we would do, so he didn't take us that way. Um, something very interesting that I'm working on right now. So, in fact, I, I had a long talk with the, like the number one, with, with Trisha Tia. Trisha Tia is like the top, top therapist in New York where most of the therapists, super, uh, she's a supervisor. She's a very brilliant woman. And when I'm finding something happened in rehab in people who are going through pain that in my school, in my rehab, things like that, that, you know, girls are getting so much better. Because, you know, we have the, I was just there yesterday, we have this equine therapy, and, like, they're in this holistic place. It's quiet. There's no one bothering you. And they have art, and they have dance, and they have boxing, and they have ceramics, and they have these horses, and they're really getting better. So girls who are cutting, they're not cutting. Girls who had a problem with that eating, they're eating. Girls who are depressed, they're not depressed. And then, like, all of a sudden, they go back to cutting, and to, they, they, they want to get out. I want to leave. I can't, I can't take it. I'm like, what can't you take? What, what's wrong? You're doing so well. That's what I can't take. I'm like, what does that mean? Because the girl's like, I'm, I'm used to being in pain my whole life. And I'm, I'm used to being in pain, and I'm used to being depressed, and I'm used to, and I don't understand this happy feeling. I am scared of this feeling. I don't live with this feeling. This is a strange feeling. I want to go back, even though it's cutting and you're not eating and all that and depressed. It's not a good place, but that's my place. That's what I'm used to. I'm used to fetching and complaining and being upset and being angry at the world. And now, all of a sudden, I'm not angry at the world. I don't like not being angry. What do you mean you don't like not being angry? Because I'm used to pain. It's like someone every single day wakes up with a massive headache and then one day he wakes up, he has no headache, he thinks he's dead. He's like, I'm not used to, I don't know how to deal with this, I don't have a headache. I have to, you don't normally have to go, and I have to go back to sleep, take my aspirin, and I, I don't have a headache. Like, what am I going to do in the next two hours? Usually I, I do stuff to get rid of my headache. So it's called, it's called self-sabotaging, psychology. That's a huge problem with people with people getting better and they're not used to feeling better and they want to go back to, even though they want to go back to that bad place because that's where I live. I live in the dark. So if you, a bat that lives in the dark, he's a bat and you should teach him how to live in the light. He, he wants, after a while, he's like, he misses his darkness. He wants to go back to his darkness. So, so this was sort of Yisrael throughout the whole Torah. Now, once they leave Mitzrayim, they always want to go back. Why do you want to go back? The whole time, from now till the end, we're going to go back to the tribe. You took us out of the tribe to kill us. You took us out of the tribe. There's no water. You took us out of the tribe. There's no meat. You took us out of the tribe. There's no food. We want to go back. We want to go back to our pickles. We want to go back to our fish. Pickles and your fish. You have the mun. The mun tastes like whatever you want it to taste like. You don't have to go to the bathroom because the mun was holy. You don't have to go to the bathroom. You don't have to go to the bathroom. There's no stomach aches. Your body is very healthy because it's mun from our shemayim, right? You used to make hamoytzi lechem and our shemayim on it. You're in an unbelievable place. You're on your way to Israel and the whole, every parsha. You want to go back to Mitzrayim? You want to go back to Mitzrayim? You took us out. What's going on here? This is exactly the psychology of what's going on here. They were slaves. 
They were being whipped. They were used to having masters. I don't know how to deal with freedom. I, I'm not comfortable being free. I'm not comfortable having food that can taste like anything I want. And I, I don't have to bake it or cook it. So the whole time they left Mitzrayim, and that's why none of them get, went into Israel. Because they had slave mentality. So in the four years, everybody died. Because that generation had slave mentality. And you can't get rid of the, the, the greatness that we celebrate on Pesach, is that even though we were slaves, the Jewish people today are the ones who win all the Nobel Prize and everything. We're not slave mentality at all anymore. Instead, we're very smart, we're very aggressive. We, right, we, we, lost, we gave up that mentality right away. And that's a big thing, because when you're used to a certain thing, and that answers... This question, I just happened to have discussed it with a big rabbi today. I always wondered, like, you're out of Mitzrayim, you have everything. You have the clouds that wash your clothing. You, you have water all the time. You have mud all the time. Like, what a life. But they're like, no, we want to go back to being a servant. I don't, I don't care if you hit me, but I'm used to getting hit. So if you're saying you're not hitting me, I don't know how to deal with that. And that was, and that was Hashem's souls when they left Mitzrayim. And if I'm going to let them take a shortcut, they're not ready. The minute they're going to get triggered, they're running back to the tribe. So it's just, well, he didn't take him, and it's, it's so true. So what do you do about this? So what do you do? If that's the truth, and anyone who starts to get better is going to relapse. Because so they're used to living in that world of pain. They don't want to, they don't want to get, they're uncomfortable with being comfortable. So, so Rabbi, what are you going to do? Like, you just, everyone's going to just keep relapsing? The answer is that you have to teach the person that, yes, it is a strange world, and yes, it's not something that you're used to, but it's a better world, and it's a better place to be. So, yeah, we have to teach you that, and, and we have to stop you from going back to the, to the pain, to the world, that, the pain that you're in. It takes a long time, because imagine you're in pain for 20 years, and now you feel good for two weeks or a month, or you're in a rehab, and you're doing, you feel good after two months, you're in the horses, and you're happy, it's two months of good feeling and 20 years of bad feeling. You're like, I got to go back to my 20 years. So that's why it's a lot of relapsing. So it's to teach the person that, yes, you stepped into the light. And yes, your eyes are not, are not used to the light. It's going to take time, but it's much better living in the light than it is living in the dark. And not everybody learns that. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for everybody. But it self-sabotages up. It's a big problem. That's why... Um, People who are not married for a very long time, and they're single for a very, very long time. Um, it's harder to get married because you're used to a certain lifestyle. And you don't have to answer to someone else, when am I coming home? And if you don't want to cook, so, so you get used to being alone. And if you're used to being alone, then being with someone else is a very strange feeling that you're not so comfortable with. So at the end, it's very hard to commit. So the more you get used to something, even though you know, I want to have children, I want to get married, and I, I want to have a husband, and I want to have a life like everybody else, but deep in your subconscious, you're scared because I'm not used to that. I, I'm used to being alone. I'm not used to being with another person. So yet, we have to work on it that, to understand that, yes, but you're stepping into a better place. So we might be uncomfortable in the beginning, but if you could stick with it long enough, then that will become your regular, and you'll feel not comfortable in the other way. In other words, You'll feel uncomfortable being depressed. If, you're, if, you're live a lo- if you live your whole life happy, then you're uncomfortable being depressed. If you live your whole life depressed, you feel uncomfortable being happy. 
So we have to get that person to a place where they're happy long enough where that becomes their regular feeling. Well, Jeff Sobert there, he said, uh-uh. I'm not taking you short
Yes, they have to but you definitely have to do something. So we see by, by we, we talked about this a lot, that, that, I don't know if I said this question here, but I was in Florida this past week, and I asked this question, in fact, I asked a bunch of rabbis this question tonight, they were like, we, we know that, everyone knows the story, and Moshe Rabbeinu was in a little basket, the basket was in the uh, river, and the daughter of power came back, they came down, and she put her hand out, right, and her hand stretched, and she pulled Moshe Rabbeinu away. Big miracle, crazy miracle, whose hand stretches, right? Hashem made a crazy miracle, she's in Amayim, she feels, that was his name, and Moshe Rabbeinu needs to understand, when things look impossible, right, you just put your hand out. It's God's, it's, it's God's job to make it happen, we're not making it happen. Thank you. Okay. So, Okay. Anyway, so here's a bomb question. You ready? Who says that Moshe Rabbeinu's basket was in the middle of the Nile River? Who put him in the Nile River? Who put him in the Nile River? Miriam, right? Miriam, his sister put him in the Nile River. Miriam put him in the Nile River. How old was Miriam? Aaron was three years older than Moshe Rabbeinu. Miriam was six years older than Moshe Rabbeinu. So she took him as a baby, three months old, and she put him into the river, the Nile River. She was six years old. Can anyone in this room explain to me how he got into the middle of the Nile River? What's the length of a six-year-old's hand? Two feet? So she's standing on the shore, and she's putting her brother in the Nile River. He can't be more than two feet in the water. So what's this deal with her hand stretching? You all let this flourish. What? Why would he float? Why does she have to make a miracle and let him float? I understand. But I'm saying, first, of all, first of all, if you put him at the shore, he's not floating into the middle of the Nile. But Hashem made a miracle that her hand had to stretch. He could have just made sure he doesn't float. And it seems to be that the minute she put him down, that so, it's, so the, the, the answer is, you're right. She put him two feet in the water. Hashem made a wave come and take him all the way out because Hashem needed to do that miracle so that in his name would be Moshe, that a person, that a leader has to know that things that look impossible, your job is to put your hand out. Your job is, to, is the effort. It's God's job to make it happen. You can't make anything happen. A great rabbi said, Baruch HaTorah, the world. A great rabbi said something very deep. It's just as big a miracle to stretch your, to pick your hand up as it is for your hand to stretch. For a human being to pick their hand up, the brain cells, the energy, the nerve cells, the muscle, what has to go on, whenever a person has a stroke, they can't move their hand, right? What has to go on in your body to get your hand to go up is just as big as a miracle as your hand stretching. To us, it's not because we get used to nature, we get used to everything. So there's no, so understanding that if Hashem can give me life, Hashem can do anything. And if Hashem doesn't want something to happen, then nothing's going to happen. You know, my, my famous story with the boulder, pushing the boulder. Your job is to push is, in life is to is the effort. It's God's job to make the boulder move. Because you can't make anything move. Effort in like becoming a leader? No, effort in anything in life. Anything like going to work, making a panasa. No, making a panasa. You can't sit at home and say, okay, send me money. It doesn't work. You can't... Um, I was with, with someone who get, went to a very big rabbi, Chaim Kainess, he said, can you give me a bracha for Shalom Bayis? Right? Fair question? Shalom Bayis, that the husband and wife should get along. I want to get a blessing that, that I should get along with my wife. And he looked at him and said, no, you have to do the work. I can't give you a bracha. 
You got to do the work. Can you get a bracha? Then give me a bracha. I should I should know the whole shot. I should know all, all Torah. You got to learn. You can't, it doesn't work that way. So there's, there's an effort. So here by the Yamsuf, Hashem says, it's very nice that you're praying. You want a miracle? You got to jump into the water. You can't just stand there and say, okay, God, make it happen. Send me the boy. Okay, God, send me the boy. Send me the guy. You have, you have to do something. You have to do something about it. You have to talk to a shatkin or become the kind of person that a boy would want to, you know, go out with. Or you have to, there has to be something. You have to do something. You don't have to do a lot. The, the more you believe in Hashem, the less you have to do. But you can't just believe in Hashem in certain things. So you have this girl who works 22 hours a day. She kills herself because she wants to make money. When it comes to Shiduchim, I'm, I don't have to go. I don't have to go out. They have to come get me. So one second. When it comes to money, you don't think Hashem can do it for you. You have to work 22 hours. When it comes to Shiduchim, oh, then Hashem's going to do it for you. No, it has to be, that's how to be your life. And everything. Either you do believe or you don't believe. And, and that's what happened by the Yamsuf. By the Yamsuf, Hashem said, it's very nice to praying, but you gotta, you gotta do an action. The action makes it happen. So, so that's when Nachshin jumped into the water. Not a time to pray, because the prayer, so I, I, I'll break it down for you a little bit more, so you understand. Because really it is the time to pray. And many times Rosh Hashem did pray. So it, it was like, this was the problem. When they came to the, when they came to the Yamsuf, the Jews, so, we needed a miracle. We needed the, we needed the sea to split, to go against its nature. Seas don't split. Water doesn't split. So, the malach of the of the ocean said, I'm, "Why do the Jews deserve a miracle? You want me to split, right? I'm the malach. You want me to split the water?" But but they served idols, and the the Mitzvah, the Egyptians served idols. Why would I do what, you know, why would I save them and not save them? They're equal. So at that point, tefillah, praying, would not help us. Because the bottom line is the mouth is right. They are going to Zara, they are going to Zara, why should I split? If you want a miracle to happen, you want to force a miracle, you want to force a miracle, then what's a miracle? A miracle is something against nature. Right? There's a nature that Hashem put into the world, which is God, and then you break that nature is a miracle. The way for a person to make miracles happen is for them to break their nature. If I break my nature, then I can ask Hashem to break nature. So, at this point, if he would have prayed till Mashiach comes, the Yam wouldn't have split, because the bottom line is we didn't deserve any more than the Mishkin deserved. So Hashem told Moshe, this is what you need to do. You need someone to go into that ocean and be willing to give his life, right? Mesiras Nefesh, for this miracle to happen. So Nachshon jumped into the water and he kept walking and he kept walking. Everybody was waiting. Let's see what happens. And the water went up to his neck. Still didn't split. Uh-oh, it doesn't look like it's working. And then the water went over his mouth. He couldn't breathe, right? And it still didn't happen. Then the Magdus says the water went over his nose. And once the water went over his nose, he couldn't breathe. Now, if he couldn't breathe, he needed a miracle. Because, right? So he showed Hashem that I am going to, I am willing to believe in you so much that I'm going to put myself in a position that as a human being I can't live. He forced the seed to split. He said, I'm breaking my teva, my nature. Now you have to break your nature. So Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, don't pray now. You've got to do something. So, well, that, I'm going to get to that. So the, the Medrash says, 
the ocean saw something and it ran. My raw, what did it see? It saw Yosef's bones that they were taking out. What's a, what about his bones? Well, we know that he was seduced by this very beautiful woman, Potiphar's wife. He was a young boy. He was gorgeous. He was the best looking boy in the world. He was called Yafas Mare. He was very, very beautiful. He was in a strange land and he was able to run away from this woman. He broke his nature. So when the Yam saw that also, the Yam had to break its nature. And the most famous story that I say over all the time, which we're going to talk a little bit about tonight from a different, from Tama Devora, but is the story of this man and woman who didn't have children for like 12 years, or maybe even more, and they went to Rav Chaim Kainevsky, the Galo Hadar, and um, the, he doesn't see women, but he sees men. So his wife, the wife said, you go in there and don't you come out with a bracha, come out with a promise. I don't want a bracha. I want to have tacha. I don't want the Golodot to give you a bracha that we're going to have children. I want him to say, I promise you, you're going to have children. And this woman was like, don't come out of the room until you get that. So he came to Rav Chaim. And Rav Chaim said, he said, I don't have children. And he said, what did the doctor say? What did the doctor say? Did the doctor say, I can't, I, I can't have children. I, don't, I can't have children. It's not going to ever happen. So he says, so Rav Chaim says, you need a miracle. We need a miracle. According to nature, we need, I'm not going to have children. We need a miracle. So Chaim said, I'll give you a bracha. Hashem should help you. He said, Chaim, I can't leave this room. He said, why can't you leave this room? He says, because my wife told me I cannot leave this room till the, till the God of the door gives me a bracha, gives me a haftacha. So Chaim said, I can't give you a haftacha. can't give it to you. I can't give you a promise. I'm not, I'm not a miracle maker. I don't do miracles. He says, but, I'll tell you this. Find a person who got embarrassed in public, in front of people, and didn't answer the person who embarrassed them. It was just quiet. Like, oh, you know, what do you have to do with you? Right? Don't, would not answer, don't answer. The person embarrassed you, and you don't answer. And if you get a bra- if you get a haftacha from that person, it'll come true, you'll have children. I can't do that. What's the difference between a bracha and a bracha? is, I'll give you a bracha that you should get married. Haftach is, I promise you, you will get married. Okay, so my, I'm not Rav Chaim. So, so, yeah, I'm not Rav Chaim. I'm trying, but it's not working. Who am I? But that's just a very big difference. Right, so if you get a Haftach, I went, I didn't have children for four years, and I went to a very, very big tzaddik in, uh, in, in Muncie, and uh, the Rimnitzah, and he gave me Haftach. He said, you'll have a child come in next year, you'll have children, and Baruch Hashem, more than a bracha. A bracha is, you have a bracha, you should have children. A talk is, I'm telling you that you're going to have a child. That's how I've talked. But how, how, like, it's power? It's, 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 a person's a tzaddik, and the, it says, tzaddik geyser, if a tzaddik says something, Hashem Mekayim. Okay, so say it one more time, because you're 100% a tzaddik. No, 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 but don't, that's not. I'm not Rav Chaim. Anyway, so, even Rav Chaim didn't give Avtocha. I should give Avtocha. Rav Chaim said, I can't give you Avtocha. So, he said, if you meet someone that gets embarrassed in public and you get a haftacha, it'll happen. Okay? He comes out, his wife, he says, his wife said, no, you got a haftacha? He said, no. She said, what do you mean? He said, he said, he gave us a bracha, but he said that if you meet someone who gets embarrassed in public and doesn't answer, she goes, that's what you think. She was very upset at him, very angry at him. You, you're a loser. You didn't get, you're a loser. You came out, you didn't get it done. You didn't get it done. The client pushed you off and you, you let him push you off. Okay. End the story, no children. She was pretty upset at him. A few months later, she's at a wedding in B'nai Brak, this woman, who has no children. And it was a wedding of a, of a child of a, divorced, of a divorced couple, and the mother 
I guess she did something wrong, whatever. She was not invited to the wedding. The mother of the of the of the daughter that was getting married. And it seems to be that she decided, uninvited, she's going anyway. So what's your daughter? So she comes to the wedding. And it's an unbelievable story. She comes to the wedding and the mother-in-law, her ex-mother-in-law, sees her. So she wants to dance with her daughter and starts screaming, You, you ruined my son, you did this and this. You, 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 you ruined my family, you ruined my children. Get out of here, don't you dare come in here. Yelling at her in front of everyone and chasing her. Mama's chasing her out of the wedding. And everyone's like standing there, and they were like, whoa, right? This girl just got ripped in front of everyone. And she's, Mama runs out of the wedding crying in embarrassment. And this girl is standing by the wedding, she's like, hold on. This is what I need. This is the one I need. She just got, she just got embarrassed in front of like the whole world. So she chases her. She chases her. And she thinks that some relative chasing her because she went to the wedding, whatever. Anyway, she catches up and she says, could I ask you a favor? Who are you? She goes, it's a long story. I don't have children. Listen, you just, you just, you just got, I don't have children. You just got embarrassed and you didn't say one word. And a great Sadiq said that if I get, a, if you promise me I'll have a child, I'll have a child. She goes, what are you talking about? I'm a nothing. I'm a nobody. I couldn't even go to my own child's wedding. Look what just happened to me. You went to Rav Chaim, and, and that, that's not good enough. You want something from me? I'm enough. She goes, so Rav Chaim said, I'm begging you. I have no children. You could give me a child. Okay. Okay, so next year at this time, you'll have a baby boy. That's what this woman said to me. Inshallah. She has one. Wow. Not only she has one, but Rav Chaim Kayanevsky is the Sandik. And he said over the story. He's the sandik of this baby. What happened here? What happened here? Rav Chaim, the Gal Hadar, who sits and learns all day, can't give a haftacha, but a lady that gets embarrassed, a divorce, a whole situation, gets embarrassed. And the answer is because it's not normal to be embarrassed in public and not to answer. First of all, if you don't answer, what you're saying is that what the other person's saying about you is true. If I don't answer you back, if you say something about, walking Red Wasi, you stole money from me. And I just, and right in front of all of you, and, I, and, and, I'm, and I'm embarrassed, and I don't say, no, I didn't. What are you talking about? I don't say anything. You're like, Eric Wallstein stole money from her. So I'm not answering, and I'm putting myself in such a bad position. The, the strength of doing that is I have the power to do miracles. To give someone who has no children, who the doctor said will never have children, 13 years, no children, I can do what Rav Chaim can't do. Because I controlled myself, and I broke my teva. I broke my nature. If I break my nature, I can break nature. I'm a miracle maker. Now, I know that you're all thinking that you can do this. Wow, it's amazing. I could heal people that are sick. Next time someone embarrasses me in public, I'm going to shut my mouth. I know this also. I'm the guy who tells the story, right? And every time someone embarrasses me in public, I forget. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Why are you saying that? I'm like, oh, my God, I have my shot. I have my chance. That's a natural thing. You defend yourself. You think in your head... That's easy. I can do that. It's so not easy. It's so not easy. But that's what Hashem was saying. So Hashem was saying over here, you got to jump in. You jump in, I'll do miracles. You can't just sit there and pray. You have to do something about it, which is a, which is a, a very big lesson. Okay, let's go on. Let's go on. We come to something very fascinating called the Mun. Okay, what's the Mun? So the Jews were complaining... The Jews were complaining. Hold on. Something, something very nice, very big compliment to women in this week's parsha. 
So after the Jews came out of the came out of the ocean, after it came back, so Miriam, who was Moshe Rabbeinu's sister, Vatikach Miriam Hanevira Achos Aaron Tatoif Yada, she took out her a drum, a tambourine. I believe it's a tambourine, a drum, and Vatzinakol Anashim. All the women followed her. Vatupin Ubim Chaylois. Also with um. With tambourines and musical things, they all went and they and they dan- and they and they and they said, "Sus They said, "Shuvah Hashem, praises God." That was it. A horse and its rider drowned in the ocean. That's it. That's what she sang. So number one, what's what's where you you know, maybe that's why girls like horses. Maybe that's why my my ranch is doing so well. Because the one word she said after the whole thing was that the rider and the horse drowned in the yam, right? Why'd you pick that? There's so many other things in Oz Yosha that are much nicer. Why'd you pick that? But the number one question is, where did they get the drums and tambourines from? They're coming out of Mitzrayim. They're running out of Egypt. They're slaves. Why do these women have tambourines? So it says... Why not tambourines? That's what you come. If you were running, if you're running, that's not the thing you're taking. You're taking your, your 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 jewelry and your other stuff and some stuff easy to to use in the kitchen and other stuff. And what you're not taking? Let me go get my tambourine, right? So they left Mitzrayim in a rush. Why did the women take the tambourines and their musical instruments? So it says that in Mitzrayim, the women women have much more belief in Hashem than usually than men. And they said, we know that at a certain point, God's going to do miracles for us. So let's go take musical instruments so that when the time comes, we'll be able to celebrate to Hashem. Why musical instruments? So the, there's a safer that brings us down. Why do they do that? Because men are not allowed to listen to women sing. It's called Kol Isha. We're not allowed, yeah, you know, we're not allowed to listen to women sing. That's why we don't we don't go to live concerts. We're not supposed to, whatever. A woman's voice can seduce a man. A woman who has a beautiful voice is very attractive to a man. So you're not allowed to listen, we're not allowed to go listen to women sing. Okay, today they're saying if it's a choir and it's not one girl singing, whatever. Broadway, you know, there's different ways that they bend the rules, but on Broadway it's a bunch of women, so it's not one woman, so you're not getting attracted. It's on tape, it's not live, whatever. There's, you know, there's ways around you know the situation, whatever. But so Miriam, listen to what Miriam said. Miriam said, "We want to sing. We're gonna. We, God's gonna do miracles. We want to sing, but they're not gonna let us sing because the men can't hear us sing. But if we bring drums, we're gonna make enough noise that we're gonna sing. They're not gonna hear our voices, and that's why she went and collected it. She's very smart. Miriam. But anyway, they believed. We didn't. The men didn't take anything out like that. They knew that they were going to thank Hashem. Now, what's this for Rachboy? Now, let me explain what I'm about to say, because you're going to first react like, I'm not going to Hishir anymore, I'm done. Especially coming out of Great Night, you're not going to deal with this. So, what's this horse and rider business? Right? So what Miriam was saying is that in the relationship, the woman is the horse. Now, one second. Okay, time out. Time out. The, when you're at war, when you're at war, if you shoot, if you try to shoot the guy on the horse, it's very hard. He's moving. He's, he's a small object. 
So everyone knows, don't shoot the guy, don't aim for the guy on the horse, shoot the horse. You get the horse, you get the rider. You get the rider, you don't get the horse. So you take down the horse, the rider goes with it. What Miriam said was, we're the essential part of Judaism. If, if we go down, the men, the families, everything goes down. If, so he, she said to the women, we're the sus. We're carrying our, our husbands. We're the ones. And, and it happens to be just very interesting that growing up, the Yetzirah, the evil inclination was really after the guys. Women were, girls were good and sweet and they weren't doing the things that they're doing today. Um, it, it just, they just, they were feminine. They had a certain way about them and like you had respect for them. And it, it you know, the whole movement, the feminine movement, you know, takes away from who, who you really are. Because you are different and you are way above us. And you're a sani kitsono. So the more you want to become like a man, the, 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 you, you don't realize that you're above us. The more you want to become like a man, you're lessening yourself. You're not, we're not above you, you're above us. You say in the morning, I am the will of God. I can't say that. If I say that bracha, it's a wasted bracha. It's an avera. I can't say you're sani kitsono. But you say it every single morning. You're the will of God. Because a woman is a creator. She's a womb. She's a nurturer. She's able to nurse her children. And she's a protector. You don't mess. We know in PTA, when a mother comes, you don't say nothing negative about the kid because she will rip your head off. If you were a good teacher, my kid, if he was a good school, she's not, the, the father's like, oh, I'll take care of my kid. Yeah, two weeks, I'm not going to let him play ball, whatever. Don't you talk to a mother bad about her kid. Or, or don't go after a woman's husband. Don't go after her stuff because she'll rip your head off. She's a grizzly bear. The female bear is the one you got to worry about. The female lion is the one you got to worry about. You don't got to worry about the, the male bear. He's nothing. But a female bear, she, you, if she thinks you're attacking her cubs, you could put 100 bullets into her. She's still going to take your head off. It's, 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 it's a, so a woman is a nurturer, a protector, and a creator. Man isn't. So I'm not the will of God. You are the will of God. So the more you want to become like me, right, the less you're becoming. You don't realize that. There's a, there's a certain beauty in, in a woman. There's a certain... Royalty. A woman is much more royal than a man. Much more royal than a man. So, when I was growing up, girls didn't smoke, and it was just a different, whole different, there was such a thing as a girl on drugs. It was like unusual to see a woman smoking, or to see a girl on drugs. Yes, there were guys on drugs, I grew up in the 70s, but girls on drugs? Not on that level, definitely not. They were, they were very, very different. But the Yetzirah got very smart. He said, I'm going to go after the guys and get one guy, this guy, and that guy. If I get the mother, if she don't keep Shabbos, and she don't keep kosher, and she's off the derrick, and she's misbehaving, I got the whole family. I got all the kids, because who brings up the children? Not the father, the mother brings up the children. So in our generation, he got smart. He's like, I'm not going The Germans had a very, a very powerful tank. And the Americans were sent to bomb and try to destroy these German tanks. And American General Eisenhower said, what are we doing? Don't bomb the tanks, because you're going to miss their little tanks. Bomb the factory. Blow up the factory, there's no more tanks. So Yitzhak said, what am I going to go after guys for? I'll take care of the factory. I'll take the girl out, the mother out, get the mother out. She's not religious, kids are not religious. Father's not religious, mother's religious, kids are religious. I can tell you this, from 40 years of experience. A mother religious, kids are religious. A fa mother not religious, father religious, not happening. It's very different. The mother's religious, the children are religious. The mother 
has good morals, the children have good morals. The mother is the Karas Navayas. She's the foundation. So Miriam said to the girls, we're the horse. That guy, he's not a soldier without us. And if, they sh- if we go down, the rider goes down. If the rider goes down, I'm still around. The horse and its rider were drowned. Not the rider and its horse were drowned. The horse and the rider. The horse drowned automatically the rider drowned. That was the Musa. That was what she was trying to tell the women of Kaisal. And you, you need to know that today. You are, you're, the, you're the ones that are going to bring Mashiach. The Gemara says, the Talmud says, that in the end of time, the, the women took us out of Mitzrayim and, and the women are going to are going to take us out of this um, of, of, of this Golas. And when I say it to men, right, we learn, we go to Dafyomi, we go to Minyan three times a day, we put on Tulum, we put on Tzitzis, and the Gemara has the chutzpah to say that Mashiach's not coming because of me, he's coming because of you. And I'm working all day long, and I'm learning, and I'm davening, and I'm, I'm fasting, and I'm putting on Tzitzis, and, uh, and, and Mashiach's coming for a bunch of girls. That's what the Gemara says. Seems to be very unfair. So when I say this to guys, they never argue with me. They're like, what do you mean, my sister? My mother? That's gonna be, what? You know what I do? They never say a word. So a few years ago, I asked a group of guys, I said, why, why aren't you complaining to me? Like, like a bunch of girls are bringing Mashiach and you, which you're learning Gemara and Shas and no. So they said, Rabbi Wallstein, bottom line, is Mashiach here? I'm like, no. He says, because of them! I said, that started by Chava in the tree. Right? Adam, Hashem said to Adam, why did you sin? He said, because of my wife. started a long time ago. But that's what it says. It says, the women are going to There's no question about it. Because the women are the ones who bring up the door. So you have to be more careful. Your children follow you. And, and you're the Yikar Sabayas. And there's no question that he is attacking the female part of the Jewish nation much more than he ever did. Ever, than he ever did. In many, many different ways. Women are doing things they never, ever did before. Because the Yitzhahara really, really wants to get the, the mother. The mother is the factory. Knock out the factory, you knock out every, everything else. And that's what you were saying, Sister Rafa Okay, let's end with, and I'll tell you a, a, a fascinating story. Let's end with the man. Okay. So they're complaining, they have no food, right? And Hashem says the following. It's going to rain food. It's going to rain food. And you're going to go collect it every day. But you need to know something. It's going to last for, 20, for 24 hours. The next morning, it's going to be wormy. So you're going to get mud every day, fresh mud. Don't collect a bunch and try to save it. You don't have to. You don't have to. It's going to be fresh every day. Every morning, it's going to be there on the ground. But if you think you're going to save it, it's going to rot. But on Friday, you're going to get double. Because on Shabbos, you're not allowed to go collect it on Shabbos. That's what Hashem said, okay? So, and in fact, we have a mitzvah this Friday to take your old bread, this Friday, and feed the birds. Because what happened was, Dothan and Vaviram, who were really bad guys, they wanted to make Moshe look stupid. So when Moshe got up and said, you're not getting any mun on Shabbos, so Shabbos morning, they went and took mud and put it all over the field so that they could say, oh, you, you see, you're wrong. And the birds came, and they ate all the mud. So when Dasa said to the Jews, come look in the field, there's mud, there was nothing there. So as a reward for that, to this day, HaKar Satov, 
you're supposed to give them your old bread, specifically this Friday. So if you have bread, it's a, it's a mitzvah to give the pigeons. Even pigeons. Even the flying pigeons. Okay, anyway. So, what happened? They didn't know what it was. It was sort of this, like, ice cream wafer, okay? So, the, the Pasuk says they called it mun. Manhu, kiloya deyamahu. Because they didn't know what it was, they called it mun. That doesn't make any sense. Because you don't know what it is, so then why are you calling it, why are you calling it mun? Kiloya deyamahu, because they didn't know what it was, right? They called it mun. Munhu. But if you don't know what it is, so why are you calling it anything? Why Manhu? Manhu, if you take the letters, I don't have the board here, but Manhu, if you take the letters of Manhu, it's Mem, Nun, He, Vav, Aleph. Those are the five letters of the word Emuna. So, Kilo Yudea Mahu, because when you don't know what's going on in your life, you don't know why this is happening to me, why am I going through this? Kilo Yudea Mahu, I don't understand what this is. What is this? What's going on? Why is it taking so long? Why is this happening to me? Manhu. You have to have Amuna. The letters of Manhu spells Amuna. Trust me. Those are the letters of Manhu spells Amuna. And Hashem specifically wanted that every single day they should go out and get the food. Because this was, again, he had to detox them. There was, what does a slave get every single day? Food. Your master feeds you. So, they, did, they didn't have to cook or do anything. They had food all the time. So Hashem had to get them to have a muna in him, to trust him. They trusted human beings, right? So he was like, you have to come every single day without nothing, and I'm going to give you something new. And he had to train him 40 years to detox this slavery mentality of being fed by a person. And because if I'm fed by a person, I don't need God. If, if you take, right, there's, a, there's a, a law in Jewish law that if you steal from somebody and you can't pay them back, so they used to sell you as a slave for six years. So let's say you stole $10,000, you can't pay back. So you become what's called an Evid Ivri, a Jewish slave. And the law is that if there's one pillow in the home, the master has to give it to the slave. It's not, it's, it's not a bad job. It's a very good job, right? At the end of six years, if the slave says, I want to stay, I don't want to leave. I like my master. I like being having the pillow. I like being fed every single day. So he gets punished. They put, they put a hole in his ear. They make a hole in his ear because that ear heard on Sarah's uh, Adibros that I am Hashem and you are, I'm your master. Now you're saying, I don't want you, Hashem. I don't need you. I got to stay taking care of me. So he's my master. Right? So this is what these guys live so long with human masters that they depended on the human being, and Hashem had to get detox them. So he said, you're going to have to totally depend on me. The food that you have the night before is going to have worms in it. It's going to have worms in it. And you, you just have to come to realization that you have to believe in me. So let me just tell you fast the story, because it's getting very late. I guess we're not going to learn to about the Torah tonight. We really wanted to, but okay. So this is Pasha Bishala. It's, it's a big Pasha. Go to Shul. It's a big Pasha. By the way, for money... So it was the money that the Jews got by the splitting of the yam was more than more money than they got when they left Mitzrayim. Called Bizas Hayam. Called Bizas Hayam. Okay. So anyway, the story goes like this. Um, 
was a true story. There was a big tzaddik called Rabbi Marchus Vila. I don't know, he didn't, he didn't live that long ago. Rabbi, big rabbi. And in his times, there was um, a person, a, a Kylo guy who was sitting and learning, who needed to marry off his daughter. In those days, when you when you wanted to marry off your daughter, you had to give, a, it's called Nadin in Yiddish, you had to give the boy a certain amount of money to support, to whatever, whatever it is. And, well, not everybody, but whatever. We're not going to get into that subject. Oh, you have to marry a working boy, I tell everybody, Moshe Rabbeinu was a working boy. He was a shepherd in the Midbar. Yaakov Avinu was a shepherd. The 12, 12 tribes were shepherds. They were all working. That's, you know, but okay, whatever. I'm not getting into that whole thing. You should marry who you want to marry. Who you, if you want to marry a boy who's learning, you should marry a boy who's learning. And if you want to marry a boy who's teaching, you can marry a boy who's teaching. If you want to marry a boy who's working, the main thing is that he's a good boy and he's a good person. He treats you right and he keeps the Torah and the mitzvahs. That's the main thing. And every girl, whatever you, you have a right to want. You have a right to want what you want. Nobody can tell you what to want. You want to marry someone who's going to learn the rest of his life, you have that right. You want to marry someone who's going to go to, who's going to, who works the whole day, where he goes to Minion in the morning and he has a share at night, you have a right to do that. You have a want, you want to marry a guy who's 5'10 or 6'2 and has blue eyes and blonde hair, you have a right to want that. Whatever you want, you have a right to want. Are you going to get what you want? You don't always get what you want. But you should, but you should always get what you need. There's a song or something like that. But anyway, um, Hashem doesn't always want what you want. But, you know, the famous story, it's in a book now with uh, the famous story with me, um, which a lot of you know, most people that are listening know. But that's, he, he, the, when I went to Rav Steinman, Rav Steinman was a god, a big tzaddik. And when I, when I opened up my high school, so after like five years, I realized that my girls would come to high school on Sunday, Monday, totally out of control. By Friday, I got them under control. But then they went home to the dysfunctional home. And they came back Monday out of control. And I was just spinning my wheels. Friday, they were good. By Monday, they were no good. Friday, they were good. By Monday, they were no good. So we came to the realization that they can't go home. They're doing drugs at home. Whatever they're doing, I can't send them home. But I don't have a dorm. So what do I do with them? So I have to go get a dorm. I have to go find the dorm. Okay. So I found this building uh, that had a lot of rooms. And I was very excited. But it was like broken down, old building. And the, I had a, co- a contractor come. And the contractor said he needs $350,000. To fix it, to make it wrong. Okay, so I went to this big tzaddik who I know, Erev Yom Kippur, and I said to Rav Steinman, I said, um, I told him what I do, and, and I was at school, and BCA, whatever, and, and I said, uh, Rosh Hashiva, um, I really want to make a dorm for them, and they really want it. The girls I spoke to them, they really, really want it. I really want to do this. If, if you could give me a bracha. They didn't ask him for haftacha. They didn't ask him for a promise. So just if, the, if Rav Steinman gives you a bracha, you give me a bracha that next year, Mitzvah Shem, I should be able to raise $350,000. It's not easy to raise. He looks at me and he says, this was Erevim Kippur, he says, who says Hashem wants such a place? I was like, whoa. So I said, I don't think the, the rabbi understood what I said. It's not for me. I'm not, I'm not buying a house. It's for girls who are suffering and they're going through all this pain and they went through abuse and, and they need a place to be comfortable. You know, and, and he looks at me and he goes, and who says Hashem wants such a place? So I was like, uh, th- he's pretty much, pretty much cursing me. He's like telling me like, it ain't happening, right? The way he says like, Hashem doesn't want such a place. I was like, he never spoke to me like that, right? I was like, okay. 
I called up my mother, I called up Yankee, my brother-in-law, and I said, oh my gosh, I went to Rav Steinman, and he said, Hashem doesn't want such a place. Like, and I tried to ask him again, and the guy the, the said, he understood you, get out, enough, enough, leave him alone. Okay. Girls, no matter what I did, I could not raise $2. I had one guy that said he was going to give me the money, and then when I came to get the money, he said that he, he got into a business deal and he had to use it. Everything I tried fell apart. I knew Rav Steinman said that ain't happening. It ain't happening. But I'm not the kind of guy that gives up if I want to do the right thing. So the following year, Yom Kippur, I always go for Yom Kippur to Israel. I went back to him. And I said, things in my school got a lot worse. And the girls are doing a lot worse. And they're not, some of them are not even home. They're on the street. I said, Rav Steinman, it's not something I want anymore. We need it. I, 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 we need this place. The girls need it. I, we need this place. For these kids, they're, they're, their mom is sleeping in, 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 in people's couches and by boys. And I, this is crazy. I need the, I need the Rosh Hashim to give me a bracha. He looks at me. He says, Bezrat Hashem, this year, you're going to get the money. You're going to fix the place up. And Hashem, the Shekhinah, he said, the Shekhinah is going to move in with you. The Hashem, God, God's going to live in the house with them. So I'm a little bit chutzpahnate because I was very hurt from the year before. So I said, now you have to remember that he sees hundreds of people a day come through. Bracha, bracha, bracha. My wife, my child, hold it, right? It's a year later. I haven't seen him for a year. I said, if I can ask for Shashiva, a little bit of a wise guy, I said, last year, you said, who said Hashem wants it? And this year you're telling me he's moving in. Like, what happened? Is it me? Did I do tshuva? Is it something the girls did? He looks at me. This man hasn't seen me in a year. And he sees all these other people. And he says to me, last year, you said you want such a place. I said, who says Hashem wants such a place? Hashem doesn't always give you what you want. But this year, you said you need such a place. Hashem always gives you what you need. <laughs> Within three months, I had the money. I had the money. It's a crazy story. A guy came to see my school my high school, and when he was there, he said he's giving $100,000, and the guy that came with him, he shamed him into, he said, I'm giving 100, you have to give 100, he gave 100, and then a guy that had nothing to do with those two came to see his, ne his niece who was in my school, and were, the two of them said, well, what are you going to do? We need another 150. And he said, okay, I'll give it, let's do it. So within three months, the whole thing was, through. so the bottom line is, Hashem doesn't always give you what you want, but he always gives you what you need. So today in class, a girl said to me in seminary, I don't think Hashem hears me when I pray. I don't think Hashem hears me when I pray. So I want to show you, camera lady, you have to follow me on this. Okay? I want to show you what I did in class today. So she asked this question. I pray. I don't think he hears me. I'm sure there are other girls in this room that feel the same way. Right? So I got up, and I turned the... In class, this is my class. I got up and I turned around and I said, Help! Did you all hear me? Right? You heard me? Everybody heard me. Yeah. Do you think God's more than a human being? So if you scream help, you think he hears you? He sure hears you. You heard me. You're not even God. So he surely hears me, right? Yeah. So I said to this girl, let's get this out of your head. He hears you. Now, is he answering what you want? What he's answering? That's a different question. But if you just heard me, I turned around, and you all heard me, then God surely hears you. For sure he hears you. 
he doesn't always give you what you want. That's a big problem. No, because what you want... Because then you feel like they're not hearing you. You want to see something. But if if you're sitting in front of me and you're saying, Rabbi Wallstein, I want... I don't know what you're going to ask me. You, but No, no, I... I want to have Tacha, no, but like, hey, Wallstein, I want you to buy me tomorrow a Range Rover. If you tell me that. Now, if I don't say yes, does that mean I didn't hear you? If you want it, you don't need it. I heard, no, right, no, I'm saying, I heard you, but I'm still not getting you the Land Rover. But what do you mean, you didn't hear me? That I'm not getting you the Land Rover doesn't mean I didn't hear you. I heard you. So you're looking at it that if I'm asking you to send me a chassan, I'm asking you to send me a boy, I want to get married, and you're not sending me that chassan, means that you don't hear me. No, I heard that you want a, Land Rover, a Range Rover tomorrow. I'm not getting you the Range Rover. Maybe I don't think it's good for you. Whatever it is. Right? I think you have to work for it. Whatever the reason is. But because I'm not getting you a Range Rover, doesn't mean I didn't hear you. So because I'm doubting for a, a, a boy, and, and maybe the boy that would come right now is not the right boy because I'm not yet where I need to be and I'm going to marry a much more modern boy but Hashem knows that in a year from now I'm going to marry a much more religious. He 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 works a third of the day, the Gemara says, on Shiduchim and he's God. So so it's not a simple thing. Not my brother, perfect example, uh, we're, a little, we're very late, but my brother, my brother Eliezer was like the best boy in Mary Yeshiva. My brother's a tzaddik. He's not like me. He's a guy who sits and learns all day has the most impeccable me, though. If you saw the two of us together, you would never dream that we're brothers. He doesn't look like me. He's very soft-spoken. He raises his voice. You know my brother, Lee Ezra, no? Okay, he's, he's like the tzaddik of Mir. He was like, sits and learns the tzaddik of Mir. Everyone said, this guy's going to get married. Every girl's going to grab him. She's a Wallerstein. And they thought we had a lot of money. So he's a rich... He, yeah. So, he, so he's a rich tzaddik from Muncie, right? Nice, sweet boy, right? So they, 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 this is the guy. He's like number one in there. 21 years old, 22 years old, 23 years old, 24 years old, 25 years old. Everyone's, everyone's ragging on him. You're too picky. My brother's like, I'm, my brother, the other saying, I'm not too picky. I, I, I wanted to go with this girl. She said no. I wanted to go another day. She said no. Some girls I didn't want to go with, but I'm not too picky. I was ready to go marry this person, but they said no. And, but everyone's ragging on him. You're 28 years old. 28 years old. You know, while you're 28 years old and you're not married, and your brother, me, is married at 19. Like I got married while he was. I wasn't going to wait for him, right? He's 28. He's 29. He's 30. Everyone's like, "There's something wrong. Something's wrong. Something's wrong." My parents are like pulling their hair out. There's something wrong. My mother goes to a. Sh- we used to sell Israeli items. My mother goes to a show, and. We're selling these Israeli items, and there's another lady there selling Israeli items, and she has this young girl working for her. Very nice, pretty, sweet girl, whatever it is. And my mother is like, hey, that girl would be perfect for my, um, for my son. The, di- the problem is that he's 31 and she's 18. So she's 13 years younger than him. So my mother goes over. She doesn't know her age. She lo- didn't look like that young. And she thought, ah, if anyone's 30, sure they get married. My brother married a girl who's 13 years younger, which means that when he started dating at 21 years old, she was eight. Okay? She was eight. So while everyone is saying, what's wrong with this boy? What's taking so long? She had to grow up. 
He couldn't marry her at 9 or at 10 or at 11 or at 12 or 13. He married her at 18. So everyone's trying to say, what's going on? What's wrong with him? Why this? Why that? He's picky. What's with this Wallstein guy? He's 31 years old. And Hashem's standing there like, for whatever reason, she got born a lot later than him. What do you want? To get married to a nine-year-old girl? He's going to go to jail. We'll put him in jail. In jail. Like, what do you, you know, right? So, so it's my, it's my brother. And, and Rosh Hashem, they have, they have a lot of kids and they have a beautiful family. And so, 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 so I want to get, you don't think he wanted to get married? You don't think he was doubting Shemona Esrei? Every Shemona Esrei, he, he's learning a whole day and he's not thinking, Hashem, I'll do what you want me to do. And what are you doing? And Hashem's like, I know what you want, but you want the right girl for you? You want the one that I chose for you? She's eight years old. So you're going to have to, so, Forget about it. But she wasn't, she wasn't older. She wasn't there yet. So, so many, so many, it's not always age. Sometimes you're not religious yet. And, and, and therefore you're going to marry a non-religious guy. But Hashem knows that she's going to continue growing, continue, continue growing. And in two years from now, she's going to marry totally a different guy. But that's the guy. So I want to get married. I want to get married. But you, you don't realize that. Now you're going to say to me, like other girls said to me today, what about girls who never get married? So, right? So. I don't, I'm not God. I, I don't know. Sometimes people are not, don't come to this world to get married. They were married in the last time, sometimes, and their job is, is, is something else. We don't know. People die very young, they never, ne- they never got married. Things happen. That's God's judgment. I'm not, we're not God. But we need to, either you believe, either you believe that he cares about you and he loves you, and therefore whatever is happening is for your good, or you don't believe it. So, so, so that's what I'm trying to explain to the girl. Because you did, I did hear you. My wife said, buy me, I need, I need a Range Rover, and just buy me one for me tomorrow. And I'm not, you can't come and say, so, so, so you didn't hear me? You didn't hear me? You're not listening to me? I did listen to you. But right now, I don't think that's what you need. That's, that's, and that's what this whole parasha is about. The whole mun, the whole thing. They're stuck. And Hashem's like, just go into the water. But by the mun, they're like, Shemayim, mun, it shows up every day. Why can't it last for two, three days? Why can't I save it? Why can't I have a saving? So, he, he tells a whole story over here about this guy that was, uh, started that needed to get married, and and everybody was bothering him. Um, the, the father, the father of the girl who had to raise twenty five thousand dollars, he just kept sitting and learning. He didn't go out and raise it. And there's a month left to the wedding, and, and his parents, everyone's like, your, "Your daughter needs to get married. You need to. You can't come to the wedding without the money. You need to raise the money." He says, "No, learning is more important. Learning is more important. Learning is more important." And finally, it's one day before the wedding. And he goes to the Rish Kailo, the head of the Kailo, and he says, uh, I, 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 I gotta go make, I gotta go raise money. Give me your list of your, your richest people that you know in the town, and I'm gonna go and beg them for money. Rish Kailo said, I'm gonna teach this guy a lesson. I'm begging him to go already for two months collecting. Now he wakes up, I'm gonna give him the $18 guys, not the $1,000 guys. So he starts going around, thinking that he got the list of the richest guys. This guy gives him five bucks, this guy gives him 10 bucks, 18 bucks. All of a sudden, he comes in the night before the wedding, and he says, it's unbelievable. Thank you for giving me this list. I got a guy who just gave me $25,000. guy that just gave you $25,000, he knew that he only gave him guys that were very poor. He says, what are you talking about? What, how did that happen? What happened? He said, I don't know. This guy wrote me a check for $25,000. So the, he leaves, and he calls, the Rosh Kailo calls this guy who never gives more than $18, and he says, what did you do? Like I, I set this thing up and like you messed it up for me. Like, what did you do? He says, Well, I'll tell you the truth. I have one he says, I have one daughter and she's not that well. And my whole life I put away money for her wedding. Because I knew she couldn't work afterwards. She's not so well. And I put money away and and this month she got very sick. 
And I realized that if she dies, all the $50,000 I put away was wasted. So I made a deal with Hashem, and I said, I'll give, 24, I'll give half the money to the first poor man that comes to me, right? So that she should get healthy. And this guy knocked on the door that he's making a wedding tomorrow night. So I gave him the $25,000 check. So what do we learn from this? If Hashem wants it, you're going to get it. The bottom line. The reason he didn't go collect was he was learning. So okay, you're learning? Okay, you'll... This guy thought he set you up. In other words, if you're supposed to make money, nobody can stop you. And if you're not supposed to make money, you're going to work 25 hours. You're going to, even if you make the money, you think you can beat God, you'll lose it, you'll lose it for something else. You're not, you're not beating the system. Yes, you should go to work. Hashem wants you to do normal stuff. But don't do unnormal stuff. And that's, that's, that's what money is. Money is when you do a mahu and you don't know what's going on, you have a moon. And the more moon a person has generally, the more you'll see on Hashem. Okay, thank you very much. Have a good week. Before Shalem, Yeshua Meir ben Daphne Buria. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.